Good morning, good morning. Breakfast today is sponsored by Maurice Murray Dayan. In, uh, in memory of his father, Dennis Dayan, Aleva Shalom, Lilui Shalom Ben Mazal. And in loving memory of Alexander Mermelstein, Aleva Shalom, Lilui Nishmat, Alexander Ben Yafim, Aleva Shalom, sponsored by Ofer Biton. Rabotai, in this week's parasha, we, we hear about as well another father talking to his child about, uh, about the time at the end of his life. And he asks his son, he says, please, carry me out of Egypt here. And bury me in the, the graves of my parents. And Yosef says, You don't want to be buried in Egypt? You want me to bury you in Israel? In the Ma'arata Machbela, where the family burial plot was, Abraham and Sarah and Yitzchak and Rivka and, uh, and Yaakov and Leah. You want me to bury you there? No problem. I'm going to do exactly like what you say. So the question is, <clears throat> that sounds like quite a somber conversation. Why is he asking Yosef specifically? Because of all of the brothers, Yaakov understands the bureaucracy that sometimes uh, releasing a body from a country requires. This is not something that is, that, which is new. This is a, something which is applied even back then. How much more so for Yaakov Avinu that was a state dignitary. He was a very important person. And in Egypt, they were very fond of putting their, the, their dead into pyramids, into sarcophagus, and allowing people to come and pray at their, at their gravesite. So Yaakov was worried that they would turn his burial place into a shrine and into a place of Abu Dazarah. So he says, please, don't let me be buried here. Send me up to the land of Israel. Yo- Yosef says, no problem. And Yaakov says, Please swear to me that you will do so. And he swears to him. And the question is, if you are asking your child in the final moments of your life, with the last breaths that you have, you're asking them, you know, on your deathbed to do something, which child is not going to listen to that? Not only that, by the way, if someone gets asked by a, a, a shchiv mera, someone who's about to pass away for something, we have even a chazakad that a shliach oseh shlichuto, a shliach, someone that accepts a mission, if, we, uh, if someone accepts to do a mission, we assume that he's going to fulfill the mission. How much more so with the specific context and, and circumstances here? So why does Yaakov need to make him swear? So there's two reasons that are brought down, and both of them are magnificent, and both of them illustrate that Yaakov Avinu had a prophetic foresight. He understood that which was going to come at a later date. The first answer maybe is a little bit more spiritual and the second one more practical. The first one was that Yosef when he said Yaakov understood that there was a dual meaning that Yosef meant. You have to remember we in Arabic they say which means Talk is cheap. Today's day and age, we say a lot of things. We chatter. We talk and sometimes we don't even say what we mean. We don't mean what we say. We don't keep uh, you know, to our word. So it's quite challenging for us to... But in those days, especially with the Sadiqim, every word that they said was measured. Yaakov understood that Anochi e'esekit varecha doesn't just mean I will do what you say and bury you in Egypt. But he understood as well that he was taking seriously Yaakov's worries for himself and his fears about himself. And he said, I too am going to also not be buried in Egypt. I also am going to ask them to take me and bury me in the land of Eretz Israel. Yaakov understood one thing that Yosef did not know. 
through his Ruach HaKodesh, through his uh, prophecy. He knew that there was going to come a time when the Jewish people would leave Egypt and they would be stuck with their backs against the wall. Behind them was a river, was an ocean. In front of them, proceeding towards them menacingly was the Egyptian army. And as we know, the sea saw and it ran. What does it mean, nas? It ran in front of the one that ran. Who was it that ran? Yosef. They were carrying with them the, uh, the, the bones, the, uh, the body, if you will, of Yosef al-Sadiq. They were bringing him with them to bury in Eretz Israel. The reason why the sea split, says the Midrash, is because it split for Yosef. He ran, that was his merit, so it ran. Says Yaakov, imagine if you make your children, you tell them uh, to bring you out of Egypt. You know what? For me to make you, to ask you, you're going to of course keep what I have to say. It's just one generation. We had the conversation. But for you to ask to be taken out, how many generations is that going to go through until it finally gets to fruition, until they finally have to take you out? Maybe they'll forget. Maybe they won't take it seriously. Maybe they won't be able to find you. Because remember, Yosef was the king. What did they do with the bodies of kings? They hit them in the bottom of, uh, of pyramids, of tunnels. In fact, only this past week, they discovered a brand new tomb that they hadn't found for thousands of years. It's in perfect condition outside the outskirts of Egypt. They find, this week they found the guy. Could you imagine Yosef was going to tell his children, go bury me in land, they're not even going to find him. Says Yaakov, promise me. He remembered to remind Yosef of that, so that when Yosef said, I'm also going to ask my children to take me out. Yaakov set a precedent so that he would also make his children swear. And when they took it that seriously, it would pass through the generations. That's why we find all the way at the end, Ki it says. What does it mean? Moshe Yosef. Moshe took the bones of Yosef that would ultimately save the Jews. He took them with him. Why? Not only did they make swear once, but he made each family made their children swear that they would make the next generation swear. And therefore, when the time came, they took it out. And what what cataclysmic uh, a res- of a result would have been had they not had the bones of Yosef with them when it came to uh, to, to the sea splitting? That is the prophetic side. That is from the Ben Lashri. However, there's a practical answer to this question as well. Why did he make his child swear? You know, when Yosef went to Paro and he wanted to tell him that he needs to let go of this national treasure, Paro's telling him, go jump in the lake. This Sadiq, he brought us such biracha. By the way, do we know, Yosef said the dream, in the dream it's going to be seven years of famine. Yo- Yaakov comes down to Egypt. How many years of the famine have passed? Only two. There's five more years left. At that stage, Yaakov comes down. Our rabbis tell us that when Yaakov came down to Egypt, the result of having such a tzaddik amongst them meant that the famine disappeared. By the way, I've always wondered on this. How come, why was it that when Yaakov came and the famine ended, Paro should have retroactively said, Yosef doesn't know what he's talking about. Because the seven years are plenty, fine, whatever, it was plenty. Now there's only two years and it ended. He said seven and seven, he was wrong. However, the answer is that when Yaakov came to Paro and he told him about his terrible life, and he blessed Paro. What did he bless Paro? He blessed Paro that the famine should end, that his country should be okay. So 
Paro was understood that the reason why that the famine ended wasn't because Yosef had misinterpreted the dream, but rather because there was a new player in town, Kaviyachol, Yaakov, and that changed the pieces on the chessboard. So Yosef was not new. Yaakov knew that Yosef was going to have a very difficult task convincing Paro to release this omen, this blessing for the land of Egypt uh, to, uh, to another land. Why would he do so? In fact, specifically to the land of Canaan, which was not under Egyptian jurisdiction. So to allow that blessing to go somewhere else might be kind of messing with the power, with the token, with the shaman, if you will, that, he, that he'd come to see Yaakov to be. Why would he do so? Al-Chachamim tell us that Yosef had something on Paro. Like all good Jews, no? We have some information? No, it's okay. That's for Shalom. I know a guy who knows a guy. The Mossad knows your grandmother. Okay, fine. What happens? Yosef comes to Paro and he says, you know, um, I, I asked my father, my father would like me to bury him in, in, uh, in Israel. Uh, I could imagine Paro saying, not going to happen. Yosef says, no, no, it's very important that I bury him in Israel. Paro says, not going to happen. Who's the Pharaoh in this town? Me. You're the second in command. What are you talking about? The only thing that I'm going to hold over you is what? Is the throne of, of leadership. That means the final decision. Who makes the final decisions? Me. Right? So what is Yosef going to say? Yosef says, no, no, Paro. I don't think you're understanding me. I swore to my father that I would bury him in Egypt. All of a sudden, Paro is like, oh, you swore at something else. <laughs> What's the Chachamim explained to us? That Paro was in a catch-22. It was checkmate. You know, the kings of Egypt, they needed to speak all the languages of the land and the surrounding regions. And Paro knew all the languages except for one. Which language did he not know? He didn't know the language of Lashon HaKodesh. When Yosef came to him, Yosef spoke the languages, all the languages that he knew, which is the same as Paro, but he also knew one more, which was Lashon HaKodesh. How do we know that Pharaoh didn't know Lashon HaKodesh? Because when Yosef sits on that throne, what does he have in between him and the brothers? Interpreter. That means that the royalty in Egypt didn't know the Lashon HaKodesh. But nobody else knew the language either, so it wasn't relevant. But Yosef had this on Paro. He could have publicized that there was a language that Paro didn't know. So Paro made Yosef swear he would never reveal his secret. Comes Yosef to Paro and he says, look, I, I got to keep my word. I swore. Paro understands that if he tells him to break his word, What's going to happen? Then he breaks the other word. So he's in the catch-22. He's got to let him go. Isn't that interesting? However, there's a beautiful idea that's brought from Amir Yechiel Alevi. He says as follows. What was Paro say? What, would, what did Paro tell him? Paro would have said to him, right, uh, to go and ask, Zil itchil Go and ask someone. Go do hatarat nedarim. Go ask three rabbis that sit in front of you and undo your neder, undo, undo your shibuah. Right? And he said, if I'm, if if I'm going to do this one, then I'm going to do Then I can do this one. So, Ramei Yehiel Alavi asked the most beautiful question. Why couldn't Paro say, go do Hatarat Darim on yours and not on mine? Because there's a fundamental difference between the two Shibuot. The Shibuah that you ask for your father, go and ask, go have it undone. But my Shibuah, you can't do Hatarat Darim. Why? Because in order to do Hatarat Darim, what do we need to do in order to undo a Shibuah? You have to go to the Chacham. You have to tell him what the shivua is. 
But if I swore never to reveal it, so when I tell the rabbi what I swore, I've already broke the shivua before he let me not break the shivua. So Paro has, what's his name, has Yosef up against the barrel. He could tell him, go ask on yours and not ask on mine. However, says Rabbi beautiful. He says that what is the reason why Tzarikh Neder? Why do you have to be Mifaret the Neder? The Gemara says that uh, when you come to undo a Neder, the reason why they can't do a Neder without you expressing what the Neder was, the reason is because it might be a Neder on a Devar Mitzvah. So if a guy swore he's going to give money to the Beit Knesset, he said he's going to give a donation. He said that he's going to learn Torah. He swore that he's going to learn Torah. We don't want to undo his neder. We're not allowed to. Because that's a neder not between himself and someone else. It's a neder between him and God. You can't undo that neder. So the reason why we obligated you to say over the neder is in order to know whether or not a mitzvah. So Yosef said to Paro, if the reason why, you, if you think that I don't have to be mefaret neder, that my thing is a mitzvah, and I could go and not be mefaret neder, and they'll undo mine, then I could also go to the Chacham and tell the Chacham, I'm going to ask you to do undo my neder without telling you what it was. So if you don't have to be mefaret for a Devar Mitzvah, you also won't have to be mefaret for the, the Shivuad of secrecy. So Yosef also would have been able to go to the Beddin and undo his Shivuah even though it was about a great secret. So Yaakov, he was effectively equipping Yosef with that which he would need in order to go to Paro and, and, uh, and uh, 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 obtain his release forms to be buried in the land of Eretz Israel. Baruch Adonai Amen